As a copywriter, you can probably write about just about anything from products and ideas that you love and use to those that if you were asked, you could probably even write about things that you don't love or might even find a bit controversial. So if we can write about those kinds of things, why is it so hard for many of us to talk about difficult, controversial, or even objectionable ideas with the people that we disagree with? Our guest for this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is copywriter and messaging strategist, Peta O'Brien Day, who has thought long and hard about this problem. And in this interview, she shared a framework for thinking about discussing topics and ideas that often cause arguments and contention and how to do it better. She also talked about building empathy, dealing with trauma, and how she went from earning $15 for her very first blog post on Upwork to now earning five figures a month and occasionally even more. I think you're gonna get a lot from this episode. But before we get to that, let me introduce you to my guest host this week for at least some of the commentary. It's copywriter Gabby Jackson. If you're on our mailing list, you've probably received some messages from her. She's part of the Copywriter Club team. She is an amazing copywriter, and I'm thrilled to have her here just to add a few thoughts to this interview. So uh, welcome back, Gabby. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Super great to be here. Excited to hear what you have to share. So one more thing before we get to PETA, this podcast is sponsored by the P7 Pipeline Workshops. It's not just one workshop or one training, but there's, I believe, five parts, and we really focus in on the missing piece. That is, you already know maybe what you should be doing as far as pitching goes, but building a habit, a pitching habit whether that's daily or weekly to support what you do to attract clients to your business is really important. And we're going to show you how to do that in this workshop. We also provide you with more than 20 templates for pitching via email or LinkedIn or direct messages and other uh, ways to pitch. Um, we, we're going to teach you about the MVP and the GOAT pitches and when you should use each one. And if you don't already have a steady stream of customers coming to your business or you need to improve your cold or warm pitching game, you're going to want to check this out. And before I give you the URL where to go to do that, I want to just play a short clip from an interview that Gabby did uh, earlier this morning and just share what somebody has to say about this workshop. Since joining the workshop, my perspective on prospecting has definitely improved. First of all, no longer think of it as this really scary, uh, unmanageable task that involves me embarrassing myself and sending a lot of cringy emails, hoping to get any responses back. I know that I have a reproducible system and I know that it doesn't have to actually take that much time and is very easy to build into my uh, week and, and my daily routines. So it's just something now that I can turn on and off when I need to. And it honestly, I never thought I'd say this, but it actually can be kind of fun now that I know what to look for and I can just put my creativity to work in the way that I send these emails and do the research. So yeah, it's great. And I have the P7 pipeline program completely to thank for that. 
Okay, so if you want to up your pitching game, you're ready to attract new clients into your business, we've linked to the page, the information page in the show notes. So make sure that you go to thecopywriterclub.com, click on this episode of the podcast, and you'll see a link there from the show notes. Or if you're on our email list, check your email because I'm pretty sure we've sent you something about it recently. All right, now let's get to our interview with PETA. So for 15 years, I was a youth worker. So for those of you who are in the States, you don't have them. Um, they are social workers, but just with teenagers. Um, so I spent a long time trying to build relationships from scratch with really sceptical kind of teens who kind of want to know why you're talking to them <laughs> and whether you've actually got anything interesting to say. Um, so they, and they don't think that you do. So Working with naturally suspicious people um, gave me yeah, a pretty good grounding in, um, in listening, in empathizing, in kind of building those authentic relationships that meant that I could then go on to help them with the things that were going on in their lives. Um, so I did that for 15 years, um, but it's pretty hard um, emotionally and mentally to... Um, <laughs> to care that much I know that sounds terrible but like for that to be your job um and to deal with all these different issues that loads of people are having and then to have to go home is really hard in the best of times um but then when I was 32 um which it was eight years ago I think <laughs> um I was widowed um, with a little two and a half year old boy um, and so my emotional state was not great to begin with and then when you put on top of that having to carry that emotional burden of everybody else um, it's not sustainable um, and that was kind of when I decided that I needed to find something else to do. I spent a few years trying to work out what that was. Um, I was a bookkeeper for a while, that was terrible, I'm awful at numbers um, and I ran some exams for a school and did some mentoring, that kind of thing. Um, and then when I remarried and um, I was pregnant with my daughter and I started a blog um, about the weirdness of doing this all again after being widowed and the things that that involves, like an extra set of in-laws um, and how involved you make them. Um, and the assumptions that people make when you go to appointments, um, all that kind of thing. And some companies found the blog, a couple of parent-based companies, and asked me to write some things for them off the back of it. And then they paid me. <laughs> and I went, huh, <laughs> I didn't know this was a thing. Um, and that was quite exciting. Uh, and I, I came across um, some business podcasts uh, and a particular woman who was helping people run copywriting businesses on Upwork. So I jumped on Upwork, did my first blog post for, I think, $15. And then, um, <laughs> and then yeah, the rest is history, really. I kind of, I worked my way up and built a lot of experience on the platform um, did some jobs that were fairly terrible, but also found some really great clients. Um, and at the moment, half my business comes from Upwork um, and the other half comes from like the platform that I've built outside. So referrals and um, and Facebook leads and cold pitches and all that kind of thing. 
So Peter, okay. I, we, have, uh, we haven't even gotten to some of the things that we want to talk about. And you, <laughs> like you just laid out, a, a ton, I've got so many questions. Okay. So <laughs> like, let's, let's go back to your work uh, as a youth worker. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know you mentioned patience and empathy, you know, that's how you, you start to connect, but uh, it's really easy to say, oh, you've got to be patient or you've got to have empathy. Um, and I probably should have asked this question maybe 20 years ago before my teenagers kind of aged out and, you know, mostly grown, but like, what is, how do you connect with um, not just teenagers, but somebody who's really skeptical of you, somebody who, who, you know, you're there to help them, but Mm -hmm. they're not so sure that you're there to help them. Um, Maybe get just a little bit deeper than, oh yeah, you've got to, you know, be patient or you've you've (laughs) got to empathize. Like give us one secret that we can use. Okay. Cause you're right. It is really easy to say, um, but it's harder to do. And I find that as my son He's just turned 10. It was really easy to do with other people's kids. It's not so easy to do with mine. <laughs> um, okay, so um, empathy is really important. Listening is really important. Um, but going a bit deeper, when you talk about listening and empathising, um, it's really, really easy to assume that somebody else's problems especially kids and teenagers problems are not a big deal because from your perspective they're not necessarily um somebody has fallen out with you um or they've broken up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend or their parents don't understand what they want to do with kind of their exams or with the subjects they want to study from our perspective that's like well yeah like that's really not a big deal. And in a couple of years, you'll have forgotten about this friend who wouldn't talk to you, or you'll have forgotten about the bit, the point in today's um, school day where someone was really horrible to you and embarrassed you. And you can't imagine ever going back there again, because from our perspective, it's not a big deal. But if you are actually going to help someone and you're actually going to connect with them, then you have to look at their problems from, their perspective Um, and to them it is a massive deal and the the last thing that they want to hear is oh don't worry it'll all come out in the wash I don't know if that's a British phrase it might be it's a great great phrase we we (laughs) understand it it. yeah we'll go with it Um, (laughs) like or tomorrow you'll forget all about it or even worse you'll understand when you're older like they might be true but they don't help um And I think when you're dealing with skeptical audiences, um, as a business owner, you are at a different place than your audience. You have a different perspective. You might have already solved the problem that they're having, um, or you might be further down the road in the journey that they're on. Um, But that doesn't help them right now. It helps you build authority and it helps you kind of build, um, like show them that you have knowledge and you have experience but it doesn't make a connection. What they want to know is that you care about their problem and what's going on with them. And also that you understand how debilitating or how um, horrible or how heartbreaking or depending on the situation that you understand what a big deal it is. Um, And if you can't convey that, then you are a little bit like that parent that comes along 
when your kid is crying because somebody was mean to them in the lunch line and says, oh, don't worry, you'll forget about it in two weeks' time. Like, yeah, your your prospect's going to storm up to their room and not talk to you until they need tea. Like, it's not helpful. Yeah, and it, it all makes sense. And it's painful to hear it because I've done that with my kids so many times. Where I'm like, it's this is not a big deal. In the big picture, what you're dealing with is not a big deal. Um, so I need to get better at that. But how with our customers, how can we send the right message that we do understand it is a big deal. Maybe we're not dealing with the same situation, but we get it because oftentimes it feels really hollow when I receive those messages from other people. I'm like, do you really get it? Or are you just saying that? Cause you know, you should say that. How can we say it in a compelling way? Um, if we do truly mean it. Well, yeah, that helps. <laughs> right. That part too. Um, I think, well, I mean, as a copywriter, I'm going to say this, but a lot of it is to do with the language that you use. Um, when I talk to business owners, I'm always getting them to try and step out of their expert role um, and put themselves into the shoes of their of their customer. And part of that is listening to the words that they're using and the language that they use to, to describe the problems that they're having, to describe the impact that those problems have on them, on their day-to-day life, um, on their relationships, on their health, all that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's not groundbreaking, but like good old voice of customer research is is what's going to help you get that across. Um, but I think that if you are a business owner who wants to build those authentic connections with your audience, rather than just find the right language that will make them hit the CTA, um, then you have to take that language and what they're saying um, and you have to really try and understand it like not just cut and paste the line that you or your research assistant has kind of found went from the screen onto the sales page but think about what that means for that individual um, and and try and try and work that into your messaging try and try and empathize with those people as you talk to them through your social media posts or through your um, through your emails or your blog posts. Um, it's not just about, yeah, taking the language and copy and pasting it. It's about thinking about almost like what's going on behind the scenes, reading between the lines, that kind of thing. Does that help? It, de- it definitely helps. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. Okay. So I want to jump forward again a little bit. So hopefully this is okay to ask about, but you know, you mentioned being widowed, mm-hmm. uh, which is obviously a, a massively traumatic event in, in somebody's life in your life in particular. Um, talk just, I mean, give us a sense. Uh, and I'm, I'm partly asking this question because I actually have a neighbor who is going through a very similar tragedy just this last week. Okay. I mean, it's just okay. absolutely terrible, um, heartbreaking. But um, like, talk about like, how do you, how do you deal with that kind of a loss when you have to just keep continuing on? And I know this is a really difficult question to answer because part of the answer is you just, you just do it. Right. But um, did you have, uh, um, you know, something that you could turn to, you know, mantras or exercises or, you know, to, to really pull yourself through that as, uh, as you went through that trauma? Um, and, and if this is a totally unfair question, you can say, move on, Rob, I, I totally get it. No, that's fine. Um, I've, yeah, no, I talk about this stuff all the time, mainly not because I'm like 
moping or anything like that, but just because I think it's a really important, it's really important to talk about death and the way that it affects people. Because if you don't, then firstly, everybody's eight times as scared as they were anyway. But secondly, nobody knows what to say when it happens. (laughs) And then you get lots of very well-meaning people who say very well-meaning things that make you want to throw them out of the window in the nicest way possible. Um, if I'm honest, having a two and a half year old toddler running around, <laughs> as I currently do, um, at the time meant that you've got to carry on anyway. Like it might've done me good to sit under a duvet. Um, but there was a boy who needed breakfast and, um, his nappy changed and getting dressed and going to school and uh, later on and all that kind of thing. And for better or worse, that kind of does keep you going. I grew up in a very strong faith environment um, and a lot of my youth work was done through the church. Um, My husband and I were really heavily involved in the church at the time. And I know that sometimes it can go one of two ways. Tragedy like that can bring you closer to your faith or it can kind of pull you away. I don't have an awful lot to do with with church now um, and I'm still not entirely sure how I feel about the whole faith thing and maybe at some point I will work that out but it was less it was less any element of faith that kept me going and more the community that that faith provided so while I am not um, that involved in the church anymore there are two handfuls of people who I met during that time who really pulled together and kept us going and before and after Mark my late husband died um they were there and they didn't say anything stupid and they didn't ask any ridiculous questions and they weren't demanding they just yeah they were there and that was incredibly important and still is now and I think the most important thing about having that community of people there afterwards is that you have a ready-made group of people that you don't have to explain everything to like you don't have to explain why you're having a really bad day or you don't have to explain why this morning you were up and laughing and dancing and this afternoon, if anybody plays any music, then you will scream at them. Like, yeah, community was massively important to me. I have two questions for you. You can pick and choose and answer the one that you <laughs> like best or um, or both or neither. Okay. So you mentioned your blog, which sounds mm-hmm. like it was about the weirdest moments that came from this loss. And that. so I would love to hear, you know, the top three weirdest moments that you could share <laughs> from the blog if we aren't able to check out the blog. So that's one. And then the other one is what are three comments that we should never say to someone who is grieving like just don't do it do not go there so weird moments having to go back to the hospital that you went with your late husband for his cancer treatment for your maternity appointments was pretty weird (laughs) yeah no that was weird uh having to having to tell my in-laws of my so my late husband's parents that I'd started dating again actually that's probably the top one that was yeah <laughs> I, I kind of want to know how that conversation yeah went, like, but, yeah but, the play-by-play of that conversation they were great they're so lovely um and they love Nick who is my husband and they love him um and um yeah no they've been incredibly welcoming but uh, yeah, it was it was weird. 
I went to um, I went to dinner. I went to stay with my son um, and me, and we stayed for the weekends. And we all sat down for dinner on the first night. And I'm like, I'm going to have to tell them because Ethan's going to say something because he's like five at this point, and five year olds have no chill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so at some point, he's going to mention Nick or this man that's been hanging around our house or like anything like that. And I'm going to have to explain. So I'm just going to have to come out with it. And I think I sat there until dessert, like slowly shaking more and more and more. Um, And then I just came out with it. They were lovely. I was a lot more worried about it than they were. But yeah, it was quite funny. Probably the weirdest one. That's good that you got that response. I mean, I can't imagine not act reacting that way but uh, you know everybody's different right and yeah yeah of course yeah um so things that you shouldn't say um I had quite a lot of I had quite a lot of women who had split up from their partners and were kind of co-parenting or living in like so they were sharing the kids between them and um and obviously that is an incredibly hard situation not taking anything away from that at all but I did have quite a few of them say when I would talk about how tired I was, about kind of being both parents and stretching myself thin. They'd go, oh, yeah, no, I know exactly how you feel because, yeah, because I'm separated or because I'm divorced. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> not the same thing. No, it's like I feel for you, but, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's terrible. And then the other one that I got quite a lot, I think because of the church background that I was in, was that everything happens for a reason. And then you're like, okay, tell me what the reason is. Like, and even if there is a reason, like find me a reason that is good enough because like, <laughs> I can't really think of one. So yeah, those two, don't say those two. Yeah, that 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 last one, I, I mean, we could have a whole theological podcast diving cool. into the philosophy <laughs> there. And, that could be the new podcast, yeah, Rob. It's, uh, it's, yeah. it, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> and, and, and I think there are good arguments on both sides. Yeah, yeah. you know, and... Um, maybe something will never be resolved, at least yeah. here on, on this planet anyway. So, um, but I can tell you, it's not what you want to hear at that point. In your I'm life. sure. <laughs> I'm absolutely sure. Yeah. The, the idea that, you know, God needs them more than you do um, kind of a thing is, uh, I, I just think hor- horrible thing to, to hear. So yeah. Um, let's move forward again. So you're talking about your first blog post for $15, oh, yes. $15, 15 pounds, $15. Um, $15. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, sounds, sounds pretty, you know, bottom of the barrel. Um, mm-hmm. but we all start somewhere like talk about how your business has changed over time, because I know you're not writing blog posts for $15 <laughs> now. So what did you do to go from $15 to where you are today? I started with what I knew. I'm like, pretty well educated I have two degrees one's in politics and sociology and the other's in youth work and theology so I totally could come on that podcast with you and talk about that Rob um (laughs) and then I've got a lot of experience in counseling and mental health and child development and all that kind of thing um but what was going on in my life at that point was I was trying to deal with an eight-month-old baby and homeschooling an eight-year-old because we were in the middle of lockdown so I started with what I knew, which was parenting. And I know that a lot of a lot of mums do that because like that's where their headspace is. And um, so although it was a blog post for $15, if I'm honest, didn't take me that long because it was about the importance of reading to your child. And I'm like, well, I do that all the time. So that's cool. So most of my first jobs 
on Upwork were to do with parenting or the baby space or child development or that kind of thing. And having that knowledge and putting in my proposals and things that I was a mum of two and that I had the youth work background, I think gave me a leg up with the competition. And then once I had kind of sussed out the space a little bit more, and once I tried my hand at blogs and web pages, and I can't even remember what else I wrote at that point, some other things too, I started to work out what I was good at and what I liked doing. And I leveraged that to up my rates and to bid for jobs that were at a higher level. And then I focused on training. So I did the um, I did the Filthy Rich Writer Comprehensive Copywriting Academy. Um, I did that. It was the first thing. I binge listened to your podcast and all the free resources that I could get my hands on and tried to, yeah, up my skills and, and make sure that I was providing the best, the best resource to my clients that I could. And then I started cold pitching people, which was the most terrifying thing that I've ever done in my life because I'm a massive people pleaser and I hate the idea of rejection and the idea of reaching out to someone out of the blue and asking them to hire me rates pretty high in my kind of like nightmare scenarios that I wake up from like scheme. And I cold pitched a, a natural deodorant company that I um, whose deodorant I used. Um, and I said, really love your, really love your product, et cetera, et cetera, flattery, flattery, flattery. But you don't have, you don't send any emails out. And I, I really think that you should. Um, and would you like me to write them for you? And they said, yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, and that was great. So that was, that kind of started my, maybe I should get off Upwork thing. Um, so I set up a website. I worked with this company for a while and that gave me the confidence to cold pitch some other people. And then I joined the Accelerator, which was fabulous. And I met some amazing people, learned a lot more about making my copywriting business an actual business, which, yeah, set me up for doing it properly, really, and spending more time doing it. I finished the Accelerator in January of this year. And my daughter started nursery three days a week then too. So that meant instead of doing all my copywriting and all my training and learning and everything during nap times and in the evenings, I actually had <laughs> more than a two hour kind of stint that I could work at, which was when things started taking off. And I started working with bigger clients, got some retainers and tried to niche down a little bit, but I'm still not very good at the niching thing because I'm too indecisive. So in February or March of this year, I think, I was earning about four or five thousand dollars a month, which for me was incredible because a year previously, or not even a year, yeah, a year previously, I'd been on like five hundred dollars a month. So that was great, but I had run out of time completely. I didn't have any more hours left, but I wanted to earn more money. And that was when I jumped on the Copyright Underground group and went, okay, how do you <laughs> how do you earn more money without turning yourself into an agency or running a digital course? Because I do not have the time or the inclination to do either of those. And lots of people were really, really lovely and really helpful. And Rob went, I think we need to talk about the think tank. <laughs> and so we did. And I'm so glad that we did and that you're here and even in the think tank. 
Okay, so let's break in to our interview here with PETA and just cover a couple of things that maybe are uh, standing out to you, Gabby, to me. So number one thing that jumps out to me is just this the whole idea of empathy. And obviously, PETA has been talking or started talking about do, you know, the empathy for teens, which I think is a really positive way of thinking about this um, because the way that you build empathy for teens is so useful, as Peter pointed out, for building the building empathy with our customers, the people that we're writing for, our clients, their customers. And it's literally the same thing that you would do to connect with your teens is what maybe more of us need to be doing to connect with our buyers, the, the people, our readers, the people that are, you know, we're trying to reach out to. What do you think about that? Yeah, I 100% agree. When I listened to PETA talking about having empathy for teens, it made, it automatically made me think of my sisters who are both 13 and, you know, the everyday problems that you have when you are in middle school. And I just learned a lot about listening and not not just staring at your phone when they're talking about their problems and really want being a listening ear because then that makes them feel like you really care, even if it's something that you can't necessarily relate to in the moment. And I think this too um, relates to copywriting because, you know, if you're a couple steps ahead of your ideal client, then you might not know, you might not remember what it felt like to be in those beginning stages of business or whatever it was when you didn't have a website or whatever it is that you're selling. And so to really listen in on their problems and really come from a place of empathy so you can provide solutions to them, I think is really important. Yeah, I mean, I'm on the record many times of being not that empathetic, certainly not that sensitive. But as a as a dad who's had several teenagers go through my home, you know, I, I can totally relate, you know, kids come home and this thing that's happened in their life is so critically important. You know, it's, it's keeping them from thinking about anything else or whatever. And as a parent, you're just like, wow, that is so unimportant. It, it will make zero difference in your life. But at the moment it is, it is the most critical thing. And I think we do that as copywriters too. We, we underestimate how certain things, certain challenges are customers or clients have the problems they're dealing with. I think sometimes we have a sense that if we're not suffering through that same thing, that it's not that important. And this is where customer research becomes really critical and putting ourselves in the shoes of our customers, asking them how they feel and then believing what they tell us. You know, if they're saying that they're struggling with something, really getting into that so that what we communicate to them will connect. And uh, yeah, I think Again, a lot of us treat our customers, so the people we're writing to, just like we treat our teenagers. It'd be beneficial if we did do that. For sure. Okay. So another thing that jumped out to me, just as Peter was talking about cold pitching uh, and how she cold pitched a company that needed emails. And that was kind of the catalyst for getting away from Upwork as the sole provider. I just, you know, of course, we talked about uh, the P7 workshops in the introduction. So I just want to you know, point out here, so many copywriters use cold pitching as a way to get started, to start building that client roster. And there is a way to shortcut that process, be smart about it. So, you know, even if 
if somebody's not going to invest in the P7 pipeline program, there are ways to shortcut this process, to do it well, to make sure that you're creating warm connections so that you know you go from cold pitching to warm pitching. It, it's so important. And I'm, I'm glad Peter mentioned that and how it helped accelerate her business and take her to a different place from where she was relying on just small gigs uh, in her business. Yeah. And I can definitely relate to the $15 first blog. I'm sure so many people can. I got my first blogging gig on Upwork. And I think I wrote like, it was 20 blogs. And I think it, I got, I don't know, $150. Nice. <laughs> it was crazy. Super great work, but it was overwhelming. And if I had something in place that could have got me something better then that would have been really helpful. Yeah, do it. It's uh, <laughs> most of us pitch at least a little, you know, whether that's people that we meet and we're just trying to connect with them one-on-one. And that's something that we talk about in the workshops as well. But uh, we're in some ways, we're always pitching. We're always showing how we can help somebody and learning how to do it right is, is important. One more thing that I would love to just uh, point out and, and mention without going too deep into it, but obviously I asked PETA about um, losing her husband. And on the podcast, if somebody's been listening from the very beginning, you know, we've talked to people who've lost children, uh, spouses, who've lost their businesses, who've been through serious, you know, debilitating depression. And um, I, I, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to ask about these kinds of things. I really appreciate PETA's willingness and so many of our past guests willingness to talk about these things because it's real. It's part of the human experience. And while it may not be the kind of thing that's happening to us now. Um, it does happen to the people around us. It happens to the people that we're writing for. It happens to the people that we're writing to. And just being able to, again, go back to you know, what we're talking about, empathy, and you know, hold the hand, walk in the shoes, you know, be there and understand um, just how broken life is for some people sometimes and will be for all of us at some point. Uh, that's that's why we ask those questions, and I just I'm grateful that Peta was willing to talk in depth about her experience there. Let's get back into the interview with Peta and listen to how she became more strategic in showing up in her business. I want to go back to when you said sounds like after the accelerator when you were kind of balancing some of your clients from Upwork and some of your clients you were pitching and landing, and then you mm-hmm. said you had additional time, three days a week to start focusing yeah. on your business and it took off. So for someone listening, who's like, cool, how do I make my business take off? One of, you know, one of the ways you could do it is adding more time to your schedule, which you did, but what do you do during those hours that made it take off? So I started being more strategic about being visible. So I joined some online networking groups of small businesses and spent some time kind of connecting with those people um, took up any opportunities that there were to to give value so I did a couple of free workshops and answered lots of questions on the networking calls um, and that increased my my network online with small businesses which was who I was kind of focused on um, and then as my audience grew because they all came and followed me on kind of social media I started being a lot more strategic about what I was posting the kind of things that I was talking about um, and showing up more regularly and that really helped Um, it helped increase my network it helped increase people who were who were reaching out to talk about different projects 
And also it increased my confidence because the more you talk about what you do um, and people respond, the more you think, yeah, I'm all right at this. This is this is going okay, And that helps you to come across as more confident and helps you to, to kind of get out there more. So I was definitely more strategic about being visible. Also, I'm not afraid to jump on Facebook groups when people go, I'm looking for a copywriter. I don't think, and I know some people do, but I don't think that that's a decent strategy by itself because a lot of these groups are fairly saturated, especially copywriter groups because, you know, it's what everybody does. But I do think it can be a really good part of your portfolio or your potential client base. I did keep cold pitching and that was really helpful. And I did stay on Upwork. But again, I was a lot more strategic about my profile and the jobs that I bid for and the kind of things that I wanted to do and and then use those pieces as portfolio pieces to, again, kind of come back and, and raise rates and go for higher quality clients, that kind of thing. Okay, I have a follow up to that. You said you were posting more consistently on social media. I think LinkedIn, right? Um, so, yeah, I started LinkedIn yeah, I think in March, um, okay. but also on Instagram and on Facebook. But yeah, I don't profile on Facebook doesn't get a lot of hits. So even to get more granular, what topics? So when you figured out, okay, here's here are the topics that are resonating. Here's what is actually attracting new clients. Mm-hmm. How did you do that? How did you figure it out? And um, what did you discover for your own brand? Okay, so that process started with the X Factor module in the accelerator. So getting to grips with what I was good at and the thing, the parts of the parts of copywriting that I enjoy, because I enjoy writing, but like the things that really lit me up and that I wanted to talk to people about at the end of the day. So that's where that started, but also through the networks that I built. So when I'm in small business networking groups, I'm not just there to do my elevator pitch and then fingers crossed that people are going to contact me afterwards. I'm listening to the problems that these people are having, the things that they're struggling with in their business and looking for kind of the match between those two things. So what I really enjoy and what makes me stand out and what my audience is struggling with. And those are the things that I'll post about. Um, So it, it kind of goes back to when we were talking about the teenagers and that listening and that empathy. Great. I'm good at problem solving or I'm good at coming up with names for things. If my audience aren't bothered about those things, there's there's literally no point about me point in me talking about them at all. So you have to find a place where those two kind of mix. So I'm talking about at the moment taking all the different kind of parts of your business, like your audience and your vision and your branding and your offers and, and like your story of how you got there in the first place, all these little puzzle pieces. And then I'm really good at putting them all together into the picture. So I talk quite a lot about that um, from a strategic kind of messaging strategy standpoint. And then I also talk a lot about putting your values into your um, messaging in order to make those authentic connections with your audience. That's become quite a big part of my messaging recently. I'm curious, you mentioned that half of your business still comes from Upwork. Are you doing anything on Upwork to make yourself really stand out from everybody else that's there? How do you make that work in your business where, and I know this isn't unique. There are copywriters who do relatively well on Upwork, some that even do very well, Mm -hmm. but the vast majority don't because they're not using it properly. So I'm wondering, Peta, 
how you're using it in, in order to be able to succeed as a copywriter there. Okay. So my profile is pretty optimized. Like it talks about the things that I do in a way that that's what clients are searching for. So it talks about uh, web copy and it talks about landing pages. It talks about strategy. It talks about all the things that kind of people are plugging into the search bar. I worked really hard to give my clients a good experience from the beginning and to get good feedback. So doing that over the last kind of year or so has meant that I'm in the top rated kind of plus category, which means in searches, I kind of come out near the top anyway, if they're looking for somebody with my skills. I do not spend, I know that some people do, but I do not spend half an hour in the morning and half an hour in the afternoon searching and applying for lots of things. I do not have the time and I do not have the headspace to do that. But I do regularly go on there and I look for jobs that are interesting. There's a filter section. I know when I talk to a lot of people about Upwork, they're like, oh, but it's all like $15 blog posts. Um, But you can filter those out so you don't even see them. And then you can't get mad about them. (laughs) So, So that's what I do. But I think probably the reason that it works for me is because it's not my only source of leads. I think if it was, it would be quite overwhelming and a little bit depressing because you do have to, you will put work in to a proposal and you won't reply, like you won't get any replies. And if that was all that you were doing, then it would get depressing pretty quickly. But it being a part of my kind of ecosystem of leads works really well for me. I get referrals from people now. Um, So you can, on Upwork now, you can form a network of people that you know who are also on there. And then if a job comes up that you don't fancy, but you think someone else will, then you can refer it to them. So I've got, I landed my biggest retainer client that way. That's really cool. I didn't know you could do that. It's a relatively new thing. Interesting. Okay. So um, going back to some of the content you're writing about values and Mm -hmm. how to infuse your values into your message, uh, can you share your framework for that? Because I love the framework and talk through (laughs) how we can do that. If we're like, okay, I want to do that. I struggle with it. I don't know what to say. It feels uncomfortable. How can I use your framework to do it? Okay. So my framework... um, I'm not allowed to swear on this podcast. It's called How to Talk About Politics Without Annoying People. <laughs> with that. Well, well said, well said. <laughs> okay, so as I mentioned, one of my degrees is in politics and sociology, and it's always been like a massive part of my life. A lot of my youth work was helping teenagers engage in these kind of current issues because um, they're not always as accessible as they could be. And I had been spending quite a lot of time on social media and tragedies would happen and a lot of people wouldn't know how to respond and sometimes they would decide that they were just going to pull back from selling anything or marketing while this terrible thing while everybody was dealing with this terrible thing and then they'd come back and that's fine that's a totally reasonable response but then like four days later something else terrible would happen and there does come a limit to how many days of the year you can pull back and not market if you're going to run a business online because otherwise you might as well not bother So I started thinking about how we can market with more empathy so that when tragedies happen, you're not in your face with inappropriate selling, but the way that you are speaking to your audience means that you can engage with an issue as well as um, run your business, because essentially that's what's paying your bills. 
And then I, so after thinking about it for a while, I formed this five-step framework, um, which helps people engage with politics and values and issues and weave it through their messaging so that they're not, one, ignoring things that are going on in the world, or two, throwing it in their audience's face with absolutely no warning. So it takes you through the whole thing very gently, very slowly, so you can get used to it. So it's got five steps. Step one is getting to know the space. So you start with looking around at, so you pick three, I, so I say pick three issues that you really want to connect with or that really matter to you. Um, and then find other people who are sharing information or um, content on those issues and start sharing that with your audience. And that gets you used to being a little bit more kind of values driven or politically driven in your content. But it also gets your audience more used to it, too, because the last thing anybody wants is to kind of your stories will be like puppy, puppy, coffee in a coffee shop. Look at my nice new begonias abortion 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 like that's really really hard for people to wrap their heads around the worst thing that you can give your audience is whiplash like because they they don't they won't know who they're talking to so doing it gently at the beginning is really important for you and really important for your audience too step two is honing your own message so once you have got used to the space and what other people are talking about you can um write down or talk about what your views on a particular issue are and practice sharing that with people. So you know, grab your husband or your roommate or your dog and go, this is what I believe about this, or this is what I want to share about this. And once you've got that honed and you know what you're doing, step three is bringing people with you. This is the most important bit of the framework, I think, because one of the reasons that we don't talk values and we don't talk politics as people generally, but especially as business owners, is that we're all really bad at talking to people who disagree with us because we've all been in our little echo chambers for ages. So the algorithms of all these social media platforms that we're on are designed to show us things that they think we will like to see. So that means showing us people who agree with us, which is one of the reasons why the Brexit result was such a surprise because a lot of people like me, who were on the Remain side, um, thought, well, they went on, we went on Facebook and we went on Twitter and we went on Instagram and we talked to our friends and we went, well, yeah, everybody, of course, like nobody's going to vote leave. Why would, like nobody I've spoken to has voted leave. Nothing I'm seeing on Twitter says vote leave. So yeah, sure, we'll be fine. And then we weren't. <laughs> and it's, I think it was a similar thing for you guys when Trump got elected. And I think in some parts of the country, in some parts of the internet, it was a massive surprise. Because we'd just seen like what we wanted to see. And so my third stage is bringing people with you so that you're not shouting at people who disagree with you. You're not telling people what to think. You're not even telling them that this is the only way like to look at a particular issue. You are being open about what you think and you're inviting dialogue from your audience about what they think too. So you are practicing having a conversation that is outside of that echo chamber and being open to other ideas and other perspectives 
so you're not shying away from the whole topic completely you're just kind of saying this is what I think I'd love to talk to you about what you think and that might involve people it probably will involve people disagreeing with you but it will also open up dialogue to them learning from you and you learning from them and moving the whole conversation forward so that's stage three stage four is walking the talk um, which is about being kind of consistent with your messaging and your values so um, the example I always use is like if you're going on about climate change and recycling and um, reusing things all the time but every single Instagram story is you holding a takeaway plastic Starbucks cup then like somebody's going to mention it and you have to be ready to to kind of defend yourself um so yeah being consistent with your values um that you're talking about and with the way that you're running your business and then the fifth one is being in it for the long term so jumping on every new issue just because suddenly it's pride month or suddenly it's black history month or suddenly it's i don't know international day of the donut like jumping from one thing to another just because they're popular or because that's what everybody's talking about is not how you build a connection with your audience and is not how you kind of further the conversation on any issue. So sure, you could, there's a journey and you can move and you can change your mind on different things. But if you care about an issue, then you shouldn't just be talking about it on the international month of. Like It should be a thing all the year round. And that's a whistle-stop tool. Yeah, I, I like it. It's a, a nice framework for thinking through, you know, how to do this. The, you know, as I think about this and, and um, you know, I don't know if I'm good at this or not, but it's something that I value in talking with people that, you know, I might disagree with uh, politically or, you know, uh, ideas in business or whatever. Um, like a massive part of this is listening and seeing the person that you're talking to as a human being who um, you know may actually be right, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe they're right, right? Like just having the willingness to step into a conversation and um, see the other person, not as an enemy, um, but as a potential friend, even though you may disagree. And I, I, maybe this comes back to the fact that politics has become over the last three or four decades, more a part of our identities. And so mm -hmm. when somebody attacks our politics, they, we feel like they're attacking us personally. And it's so easy to lash out. It's yeah. so easy to become defensive and to stop listening. And uh, I, 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 so I, anyway, I, this isn't really a question so much as I'm kind of just saying, I like the way you're thinking about this because I think we need way more of it, regardless mm -hmm. of whether it changes the direction of, you know, what governments do or, you know, whether there's a Brexit or who, who the next president is, we need more dialogue and understanding across these divides. Yeah. I have a question. I'm going to jump yeah, in. Go for it. Okay. So. Uh, let's say I want to have the conversation. Like you said, there aren't enough these conversations happening. Um, I'm assuming the other person has to feel the same way and, this, and we both have to be open, which I think is tricky to begin with. But let's say the other person is also open and sitting down and listening. So that's great. What are some tools I could use uh, in my toolkit to make sure that the conversation is not effective, like I need to win, but effective, yeah. like we actually have a conversation and, and what can I do to make sure that I'm helping that conversation move forward? Cool. Okay. The first one is listening, but listening properly. So most of us, while we're listening to someone else talk, are working out what we're going to say when they've stopped talking. <laughs> and I'm just as bad at that as everybody else. Um, 
And that means that you're not actually listening. Like you're just, you're, yeah, you're formulating your argument as they go. You're not listening to the words they're using or the way that they're talking or kind of their, looking at their body language if you're kind of in person or whatever. And all those things help you um, see, see from their perspective. Um, we, and that's the second tool is consider what they're saying from their perspective, not from where you're coming from. Like, why do they think those things? Um, what has led them to that idea or that position? Um, what knowledge do they have that you don't have? What experience do they have that you don't have? And vice versa. Um, and that can help you, um, well, that can help you see somebody's views if they're comp- like a complete reverse of yours in a much more positive light because it's not like Rob said it's not about the person then because there's a reason that they're coming to a that they've come to a different um a different thought or a different kind of perspective than you the third one is approach every conversation that you come to with curiosity so what can you learn so very often we approach conversations with or debates or arguments or whatever with how can I win like how can I convince someone um but a more a gentler and a more effective way of approaching a conversation like that is by thinking about what can I learn from this person even if I walk away not agreeing with them there will always be something in that conversation that you can learn um which is yeah something that my dad was always banging on about when we were kids was that every person that you met that you meet no matter where they're from um where they are whether they agree with you or not even if they're even if they are a horrible person because let's face it sometimes people are horrible people um you can learn something from that person so like so take the time to be curious um and then try to make a connection so again that's about remembering their humanity like even if you don't agree with them um, you need to kind of care about them as a person and talk to them as if they are a, a human being with as much value as you are. Um, and that helps. Um, that helps you to hold it gently. So um, to not approach every conversation with the aim of changing someone's mind, to um, to go, this is not a life or death struggle um, for somebody to win. This is just a conversation. And, and I think sometimes, yeah, sometimes we take things too seriously. Sometimes we take conversations too seriously. Like often it's just a conversation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, again, sometimes that's really hard if you feel like mm-hmm. somebody's, you know, violating my rights or trying to take away something that's important to me or whatever. But um, so I'm I'm curious, Peter, you mentioned the algorithm problem that we basically we all have, whether we realize it or not. And that is that the algorithms of Facebook and Google and TikTok and Instagram tend to show us things that agree with what they think our worldviews are. Mm-hmm. How do you overcome that? How do you seek out different viewpoints so that you do, I mean, not necessarily so you see the Brexit coming, but so that you can start to see what other people are thinking and just to understand the variety of viewpoints that may be out there about a given position. Yeah, so um, all good historians triangulate their data. So <laughs> they take um, they take kind of facts or ideas from different places and see if they kind of agree with each other or see how they fit 
um, fit with each other um, so that they don't have the problem that we have with the algorithm, that they listen to one section of a of society and they end up thinking one thing that's completely out of line. And so if you are looking for, if you are looking to be more educated about where we stand collectively or other people's viewpoints, then you need to do the same thing and triangulate your information. Like, where are you? What are you reading? What websites are you spending time on? Um, what are you listening to? Um, who do you follow? So I think it's really easy just to follow people that we like and that we agree with. Because let's face it, like nobody wants to be challenged when they wake up in the morning and grab their phone from the nightstand and bleary-eyed scroll through Twitter. We want to see nice things. Um, so follow people who don't agree with you. Read newspapers that you would not normally read. Go on websites that you would not normally scroll through. And look at those as critically as you would look at anything else. And that way you get a good idea of what other people are reading and what other people are seeing. And you can compare it with what you're reading and with what you were seeing anyway. And you can become more informed about, I don't know, the weird relative that you sit next to at Thanksgiving dinner who suddenly comes out with something that you weren't expecting because they've been reading the Daily Mail over here. <laughs> and you've like... On principle, you've you've not gone on the Daily Mail website for years and years and years because you think it's a terrible newspaper. But that means that you have no idea where this relative is coming from because she's been reading it every day for the past 10 years. So like you've got no context. Did that help? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I mean, obviously it's not easy, but if we value yeah. this kind of discussion, we, we have to do it. We have to make that effort. We have to understand what other people are thinking, regardless of whether we think it's right or wrong. Yes. This is why I flip on the news stations I don't normally watch, <laughs> just to see like what's going on there today. But you have to be in the right headspace to handle that. Like you said, it's not always easy. So you have to go into it with curiosity yeah. and um, maybe not first thing in the morning, but do it when you're ready to kind of be open. Yeah. Um, as we wrap up, I want to ask you about your experience in the think tank. You mentioned you were in the accelerator and then you joined the think tank. Um, if you could talk about what surprised you the most in the think tank, that could be a good place to start and share before we start to wrap up. Cool. Um, there are so many fabulous people in the think tank. Um, and I think the thing that surprised me the most um, is that Everybody has similar struggles. So I have the tendency to think that I'm way behind everybody else. Um, and that the people that I follow on Instagram um, are doing so much better than me. They must be because they've got flashy photos and graphics and um, and they're talking about all these launches and things that they're doing. Um, but comparing somebody else's Instagram feed to your actual real life business is a terrible idea because actually everybody goes through the same struggles, whether they're mindset struggles, whether they're um, leads struggles, whether they're systems and processes struggles, um, whether they're having a slow month, like everybody has the same struggles, even the people you see with flashy Instagram feeds. Um, and I think that was the most surprising, realizing that actually I'm not as behind as I thought that I was. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, it's always nice to get that uh, confirmation uh, from people. So PETA, this, this has been amazing. And I know we're sort of at the end of our hour with you, but let's say there are a few people out there like me who are ready to have those conversations and they might even want to have them with you. Mm-hmm. Where should they go to connect with you, to learn more about some of your thinking around difficult conversations or even you know what you're bringing to your business as a copywriter and a strategist? Um, so you can find me on Instagram at all words by Peter. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm Peter O'Brien Day. Quite easy to find. I don't think there's another one of me. Um, and not another one. <laughs> <laughs> I post. Um, I post there every weekday, mostly. Um, my website is words by Peter, um, and I have an email list that you can jump on. Um, if you head to my website, there's a banner there, and you can kind of sign up. Um, I talk about marketing um in a in an ethical and authentic way i talk about politics i talk about how many times my kids have had chicken nuggets this week for tea that kind of thing um so yeah if you're not up for yeah the kind of behind the scenes nature of my life then you might want to choose somebody else's email list um but also if you are interested in having these types of conversations um, as a business owner or as an individual, then I am in the process of putting together a membership that will be a space where people can come and have those conversations with each other. They can be supported in sharing their values and their politics through their business messaging. We'll have templates on different current affairs, kind of helping you talk about them, visiting experts to talk about particular political issues or ethical issues. And we'll be encouraging people to have those kind of gentle and curious conversations and giving you a space to do that. And if you're interested, then I'll be a link that I will send Rob and Kira to put in the show notes that will take you to sign up for the waitlist. So you'll be the first to know when it goes live. Yeah, that sounds wonderful and much needed. <laughs> So thank you for putting that together. Um, yeah. Thank you, Peter, for this incredible interview. Um, it's been really enjoyable. And thank you for being in the accelerator with us and now in the <laughs> think tank. It's just um, amazing to be near you. And so thank you for all that you do in our community. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's the end of our interview with Peter O'Brien Day. Rob, why don't you kick us off with a few more notes? Okay, so I, I think I harp on this every single time that uh, I hear somebody talking about it on the podcast, but I think it's just so important how strategic uh, PETA has been about being visible, you know, joining her networking group, being active in groups, not being afraid to ask, uh, to raise your hand, ask for opportunities. Like, I, I think it's oftentimes we as copywriters, because we're connected to each other, we see what other copywriters are doing in places like Instagram or LinkedIn, we start to think, well, everybody else is doing that thing. And we have one of two reactions. One is I've got to do that, that same thing. And so we start creating content for each other as opposed to content for our clients. Or B, we say everybody else is doing it, so there's no space for me and we don't do that. And I think there's maybe a better third option, and that is doing some of this stuff, talking about the stuff that we're doing, but not for other copywriters, not for other marketers, but for our market, our niche. So for whoever you work for. So you're not, you're not trying to show, you know, Rob or Gabby or Kira or other copywriters that you're doing this. Who cares if we see it, right? We're not the target audience for most copywriters. 
making sure that the, the content you're creating, the groups that you're in, the places that you're talking are where your clients are and helping them to solve very real problems. Yeah, I agree. There are so many Facebook groups out there and I think it can be a bit overwhelming, but really sticking to the ones or sticking to the Facebook groups, the LinkedIn profiles, just being where your customer is and kind of ignoring the rest, I think is going to serve everyone better. That way you kind of quiet the clutter of everything that's going around on where your ideal clients are not hanging around. I really liked what Peter was saying just about standing out on Upwork and you know limiting the noise there and some of her strategies uh, for succeeding there. We've had some really good interviews in the past all about uh, how to do that. Uh, Danny Margellis, uh, Rob Perry has talked about that on the podcast. And so um, you know if you're on Upwork, if you're uh, using that as a client acquisition tool, then be sure to check out those uh, past episodes of the podcast because there's some really good information there that goes along with what Peter was sharing. And then I think really the meat of the episode for me is just this uh, framework for talking about difficult topics. And this could there's a, a huge range here, right? Um, you know, oftentimes we hear people, you know, talking about how you should ignore this stuff or avoid these kinds of topics. Obviously, PETA doesn't lean in that direction. She's like, no, we need to engage more here. There's some related questions. You know, should you stop marketing? Should you stop running ads during a war or during a, a natural disaster like a hurricane? Or, you know, if there's rioting, uh, you know, some political cause, you know, an election goes the wrong way for one party or the other. Uh, I think sometimes our reaction is that, uh, you know, we need to, to stop. Um, you know, and, and stop everything or, you know, disengage from it and ignore it. And I just think the way PETA thinks about this maybe gives us a middle way where we can continue to do the things that we need to do in our business to stay afloat, to keep running, but also not necessarily ignore some of the bad things that are going on in the world and be able to talk about them in a way that's meaningful. Yeah, I especially like this section of the of the episode because I've never, no one's talking about this, at least in the realm that I hang around on, on social media. And so to hear someone kind of give some strategy to it kind of feels nice because it, it does feel like, you know, you need to go one way or the other and it's hard to walk on these delicate waters and just to know what's my place, what do I need to do and how can I best support people and have empathy towards people without you know, Pina mentions without stopping your business because this is a means to to put food on the table. But how do we do that at the same time while while having empathy for others? You know what she shared about getting outside of the bubble or exposing ourselves to new ideas. There's kind of a, a famous quote, and I know this is going to date me just a little bit, but Pauline Kael, who uh, used to be a writer for the New Yorker, was famous. She was famously misquoted for saying, nobody I know voted for Nixon. How did he get elected? Which wasn't exactly what she said, but she was pointing out the fact that uh, there are bubbles and that she didn't know very many people who you know, voted for this person who then became president. And it was shocking to that group of people. And this is clearly back in, you know, the, the 67, early seventies. 
And, and so, you know, we, we still see this, you know, 50 years later happening again, as Peter pointed out with Brexit, with, you know, certain elections. Um, I think the election in 2016 was a surprise for a lot of people. The election in 2020 was a surprise for a lot of people because we're so surrounded by insular ideas and the algorithms, Google and Facebook and Instagram and all want to tell us more of the same things. And so being very deliberate and exposing ourselves to other ideas, to people that we disagree with, as Kara mentioned, sometimes you've got to be in the right headspace. And, and you know, obviously that that's true, but more of us should be engaging with ideas, thoughts, and even people who we may disagree with in a way where we keep in mind that the other person in the argument is still a human being. And even though they may be wrong, they may be terribly wrong, um, their life as a human being still has uh, intrinsic value. Yeah, I agree. If you're going to do that, let's try to make more connections. Let's try to remember that we're talking to people and approach things as kindly, um, but still not being afraid to stand up for the ideas and thoughts and things that we uh, all believe in, because I think it's really important. I, again, PETA's framework for doing that, uh, I think, maybe a, a good thing for some of us to keep in mind. Um, we can learn from every, everyone, you know, not, not just, uh, as, as Peter said, it's not just a life or death struggle. It, it's a conversation. Yeah, that's true. And, and being able to, you know, if you do want to add this to your messaging, having these steps to kind of make that happen, I think are really important and just make it digestible. And of course, you don't have to. You know, if you don't want to step into that, you know, all of us get to build the business that works for us and have the conversations that work for us. And if it doesn't work for you, do it do it the way that does work. 100%. We want to thank Peta O'Brien Day for joining us on the podcast today. If you want to connect with her, you can find her at her website, wordsbypeta.com which we will link to in the show notes. And if you want to listen to more episodes like this one, I mentioned a couple of people who talked about Upwork uh, earlier, but you could also check out episode number 274 with Anna Rosa Parker. Uh, we talked to her about writing holistic copy. And if you want to go all the way back to episode 63 with Margot Aaron, she talked about learning the things that aren't written down. That's one of my favorite conversations from, uh, from the podcast over the last few years. It's a really good one. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Mutner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please, capital P, visit Apple Podcasts to leave your review of the show. If you want to find out more about the P7 workshop, head over to the show notes, hit the link, and we'll send you all the information. Stay tuned for the end of this episode where we are interviewing Kasha, who is a graduate of the P7 workshop, and she's going to share her experience in the P7 workshop. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. So my interest was piqued by the P7 pipeline initially when I was in the middle of a fairly dry summer client-wise, and I was... Um, mainly relying on referrals. And I, as, as these things go, was in a little bit of a valley. And I uh, received Kira and Rob's emails just when I was at that point of wondering where I was going to get my next work from. And it sounded to me like the system that they were going to be teaching in the program was exactly what I needed at that point, something that was reproducible 
and relied on things that were already happening in my day-to-day life. So I, you know, binge read their emails about it and decided that I had nothing to lose um, in trying something new since what I was doing at that point wasn't really working for me. So the problems that I was experiencing before joining involved really irregular habits uh, and uh, very, you know, I, I didn't really have a lot of routines set up that were helping me with my business. I kind of did things when they were urgent and I was feeling that adrenaline leading up to a deadline or when I was seeing that my revenue for the next quarter was perhaps looking a little a little scary. And then when things were going great, I wasn't thinking about prospecting or inbound marketing at all. Uh, so I didn't really have systems set up that uh, were helping me really run a strategic business beyond the uh, lack of client acquisition strategy. And that led to, you know, lack of confidence and perhaps just frustration in the face of trying to get any system set up, but feeling overwhelmed at where to start and how to manage all of the work that it takes to, to do all that. I ultimately decided to join because the way that I understood the program would be running would be that it would be focused on implementation, which was super important to me since I'm a person who really loves to learn and then perhaps doesn't necessarily take the time to actually implement all of the amazing things that I learned from all the business and copywriting programs out there. So the way Kira and Rob kind of posed the questions around figuring out whether the program was the right fit for us was whether we could dedicate a certain amount of time to implementing whether we were okay with a reproducible program that would allow us to potentially bring on one new client a month, whether we had that capacity. I certainly had that capacity and it really aligned with my mindset and it was just really something I, I wanted to work on at that moment in time. And I decided that it was, there was nothing really for me to lose and I could only really learn something, whether it was pitching the kind of behavioral science that Kira has, you know, become this, uh, expert in even just learning from the other people in the program. That was all very exciting to me and made the program sound worth the time and and cost. I was surprised by just how much fun I had (laughs) with both the actual live workshops uh, and interacting with everyone and riffing off of each other with ideas, um, but also just meeting people in the one-on-ones that uh, Kira and Rob encouraged, as well as the ways that the lessons we were learning were impacting other parts of my life and business and just how much I was really living in the mindset of the program Mm -hmm. outside of uh, when I was strictly working on it. So the wins that I experienced uh, by implementing what I learned involved both the 
actual client acquisition wins that I came into the program hoping for. I, I got a couple of responses to my pitches and I even ended up uh, having one discovery call and new client within the month after, after starting the pitching process. But more surprisingly, perhaps, and excitingly, I use the tiny habits methods to really make amazing inroads on redoing my website, on building out a uh, new inbound marketing strategy, as well as setting myself up for success with, you know, routines during my work days, such as getting out of bed immediately after uh, my alarm went off and, and things like that, that I was really pleased to uh, know Kira and Rob saw as also really valuable alongside these really business strict pitching habits. So my life, my quality of life improved as did different aspects of my business get more strategic. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better, copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club, yeah, can make you lots of money.